You're listening to the 123 show on RTHK Radio 3 with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon. Welcome back to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Friday afternoon. And I'm really excited to be joined on the program with the one and the only Karen Ko. Karen, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Good. Happy Friday, Noreen. I hope everything's uh, gone well in your week. Sort of. (laughs) Right now I'm experiencing some internet weird connection. We are live right now on Facebook Live. uh, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3, so our listeners uh, should be able to see us there. If for some reason something is not working, please let me know in the comments below. Right, Karen, so what have we got? Sorry, go on. turn on the radio and go back to the good old-fashioned radio. Um, back to basics. <laughs> so, so Noreen, um, today we are doing our bit to celebrate International Women's Day, which was, of course, Monday. And, you know, now we are not just celebrating one day, but there's events going on for the week, for the month. There's a lot more awareness about a lot of women's issues. Uh, and today, unfortunately, we're looking at a topic which isn't pleasant, but it is a daily reality for many women, and that is sexual harassment and sexual violence. And I don't know if you know, just a couple of days ago, the World Health Organization issued a report that stated that one in three women worldwide is subjected to sexual violence in her lifetime. So think about it. There's three of us on this meeting right now. One of us has been subject to sexual violence in their lifetime. And this WHO report said basically about 31% of women between the ages of 15 and 49, which adds up to over 850 million worldwide, have experienced physical or sexual violence. And this study took in national data and surveys from 2000 to 2018. So almost a generation of data there. And the sad thing is, I think actually the figures don't tell the whole story because really sexual violence is really highly underreported. People don't want to report it because it's a very stigmatized kind of crime. Victims are often loath to come forward because of everything from victim blaming to fear of losing their job or, or maybe even fear of further violence if they're in a domestic situation that they can't leave, they can't escape. So the questions we're asking now are, how do we change this, especially for the younger generation? And we're thrilled to be joined today by a young woman who's trying to do just that. Samantha Top is a Chinese-British journalist based in Hong Kong who covers human rights issues and gender inequality. And she's also the creator of Frontline Feminists, which is an Instagram platform designed to educate, support and inspire women who want to speak up about sexual harassment and sexual violence. So Sam, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's amazing to be here. Well, it's really great that to have you on and it's great that you started this initiative. So before we talk more about Frontline Fem- Feminists, tell us more about yourself and then why you decided to create the platform. Yeah, so as you mentioned already, I'm a journalist based in Hong Kong. Um, I'm very early in my career, but I decided to create this platform because of my own personal experiences, having dealt with sexual harassment and sexual assault multiple times in my lifetime. And um, I think that's something that a lot of other women also relate to, right? Whether that be like things like catcalling or grouping to obviously more serious things. And it was actually an incidence of workplace sexual harassment that I had to report. And that was one of the reasons that turning point that reporting process really made me feel like I wanted to do something to educate other people about how difficult it is to speak up 
and also just like knowing what to do in that scenario and how to protect yourself in terms of protecting your mental health and from like a legal perspective all of these things are really difficult and if I didn't have the amazing group of women that I had around me I don't think I would have been able to do it so that's something that I'm trying to emulate on a virtual scale on frontline feminists. Mm. Now with your experience in, with workplace sexual harassment did you know what to do? I mean when it when it happened what was your reaction? <laughs> um, I didn't know what to do. I think when it happened I was really um, I was really scared because obviously like I mentioned I was really early into my career and the person that this had happened with was very senior to me so there was a lot of potential repercussions to speaking up and um, you know the whole process also wasn't made easy and it was really confusing about how to go about speaking up and who to talk to so i actually initially didn't want to speak up and it was only i also this person also made me promise not to tell anyone so it made it really difficult right and it was only finally after i told one person that i felt like i could say something and she really tried to you know like make me say something and tried to highlight the benefit of speaking up so eventually I did and the process itself was really confusing and I think you know I had to do a lot of the work as well. Um, I had to do all of the research of the laws and I had to go through our staff handbook to try and find out all of the information um, and I was really lucky because I had some amazing mentors that helped me and guided me through that but I think for the average person there are a lot of barriers that people don't have support for. Mm. And were there any consequences for the, for the perpetrator in the end? Um, not as much as there should have been, no. Um, you know, there was technically consequences. He got a written warning, um, but I don't think that was fair or adequate for what happened. Um, but at the end of the day, I still believe I did the right thing by speaking up, and I still believe that I made a difference in terms of showing other women in that company that they could speak up and that they would be heard and there was still benefit in that sense. Ooh. To your knowledge, I mean, Sam, ha had this happened to other women in your company and perhaps they were too scared to speak up um, and and and, it, and then it happened to you and then you were able to speak up? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not sure, actually, to be honest. Um, I, I do feel like um, people are not so forthcoming to share that information. But I, I do know that he is very senior and he does manage a lot of people including a lot of women right so and you know also women speaking up i feel like is kind of privileged in so many ways right women with families don't have the same opportunities or uh that i had to be able to speak up because there's just greater risk right they need that job more so in that sense i i don't know but i do hope that you know i i did make sure that by speaking up this was on record and if someone ever chooses to speak up again there'll be multiple things on record and they'll have no choice but to terminate him yeah. yeah, Sam, just um, going back on something that you mentioned just now, you, you said it was quite that the whole process of reporting was quite challenging. What sorts of challenges did, did you come across? Because I think this is across the board. We, we, we hear other women saying that they have the intention to report, but when it comes down to it, HR and different departments just make it that much harder uh, to report such instances of sexual harassments in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um there were a lot of challenges. I would say the challenge actually was um, mostly mental challenges of it's just so tiring to report, you know, it's so stressful and really traumatizing because, you know, you're going to that same workplace surrounded by that person and other people who are his friends. 
in knowing that, you know, does he know I've reported him yet? When is he going to find out? Like, what is he going to do when he finds out? And it's just a really stressful, like, anxiety inducing situation to be in and continue going to every day. Um, and I do think, you know, in terms of HR, they, you know, it was just a lot of, it was very kind of cold and professional, which makes it really difficult for, you know, someone that went through something that was traumatic to- Because you want empathy or, well, some sort of emotion. Level of empathy, right? Or understanding that this was wrong. And, you know, they were also saying comments like, oh, you should have come to us sooner. You should have come to us sooner. But then I still go at this level and it's not enough to warrant something actually happening. Do you know what I mean? And that's a sort of victim blaming in a way. You should have done this. And the shame. Yeah. Yeah. And I did feel that kind of level of victim blaming in that sense as well. You know, I felt like I did everything in my power to provide them with the evidence that they needed. You know, I, I, I downloaded and exported our entire WhatsApp chat. I went through it and like flagged and highlighted all the things I felt uncomfortable with. And I went through, you know, all of the relevant laws. I included the relevant laws in this document for them. And I still felt like it was just completely out of, you know, my control. And then when it actually, after it happened, they didn't really do anything to protect me afterwards. You know, they let him go home and work um, at home and away from everyone else's judgment. Right. But I still had to come in. So I felt like, by doing that, they were just kind of signaling that it wasn't really a priority to them and it wasn't something that they really, really cared about. Yeah, Sam, can, I, can, I, can I just say thank you so much for sharing your story? You know, it, it's not easy to, to come on public to share this story, and I'm sure by doing so it gives um, strength to other women who are going through it, and I'm sure there are listeners listening right now who, who are going through this, and, and it's okay, you can speak up. And if people turn around and say to you, you should have come to us earlier, you know what should have happened? The perpetrator shouldn't have sexually harassed people. That's what should not have happened. Yeah. Sorry, Carrot, go on. And no, I was going to say, Sam, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, he was he was quite senior. And I think that's the other thing that it's it's not a level playing field. You know, you're you're in different power positions. And that's really what harassment is about, isn't it? I mean, it's not about sex. Yeah. About taking advantage of that power dynamic, right? So then tell us more about frontline feminists, about you know, how it came from, you know, this experience to you wanting to do something about it and and what kind of content um, you've got up there. Yeah. So after this whole experience, I realized that what I had gone through is something that a lot of women have gone through and a lot of girls have gone through. And I just felt really like shocked at how unprepared I was in this situation, you know, and what a steep learning curve it was. So I thought maybe I could take those things that I'd learned and share them on a platform where women and girls could go to to find this kind of information because I feel like it's something that's not really spoken about because there is so much stigma that surrounds it right so like you mentioned earlier it works to educate support and inspire women to speak up about sexual harassment and sexual violence and it works as a kind of facilitator of information and expert knowledge so I speak to Um, psychologists, authors, academics, and industry leaders across the globe to get their information and knowledge and share it on the platform. And I do that through like informative Instagram videos and IGTVs and like text uh, text posts, like back posts and stuff, um, all with the aim of like uh, making easy, digestible learning on a platform that you can remain like relatively anonymous. Mm. I mean, I've been through the feed and you've only been out how many weeks now? Like over a month. (laughs) Yeah. 
And some of the interviews are really fantastic. I mean, really amazing, um, great content, very raw, a lot of it, and you know, very honest. So you've got everything from interviews with um, quite well-known authors and filmmakers to personal testimony. So, you know, how would you rate the response so far? It's actually been incredible. I, you know, I started it obviously with the intention of creating change, but I really thought I was going to, you know, just help a few people around me in Hong Kong. But actually, it's been really overwhelming how many people, like, it's sad as well, how many people resonate with what I'm saying and the messages that I'm sharing, you know. But I really feel like it really emphasizes that there is a need for this, you know. And it's just been incredible. People have been so, um, so open to helping and sharing their time and their knowledge. I've had um, a, a doctorate student in Brussels. She actually DM'd me asking to share some of her knowledge because she studies gender and finding ways to collaborate. And the same with you know other women like doing masters in gender in the UK. And just people have been so helpful and so kind. And I really think that um, same with community stories. A lot of people have been sharing their own stories, which I was really surprised about because it is really hard to talk about. And people have been sharing all kinds of stories and I felt like it was just it was really really great to see. Can you can you tell us a couple of the stories quickly that that's that yeah. been shared with you? Yeah so I've shared a couple on the page and people have the option whether to remain anonymous or not so um you know the some of the stories were um one woman in Melbourne she talked a little bit about her experiences when she was waitressing and she worked with this um, colleague and he was um, really kind enough to drive her home because obviously waitressing it's like odd shifts and you're finishing really late at night and so she thought this was really nice and then after a while he started being kind of like weird and eventually it escalated to the point where she found out that he had been driving to her road when she was like not with him and just sitting there waiting for her and like stalking her that's so scary yeah and he, he told her this later you know so he wasn't even he didn't even register that it was so messed up right mm-hmm. another woman shared her experiences of being raped um and it was obviously so so traumatic but i actually felt so thankful that you know she thought she trusted me enough to be able to share that story and trust how i would share that story um and these are all on the instagram platform as well for people to read but just a variety of stories and we're working to share some more you know stories of just general things that every woman goes through in terms of like catcalling and being groped on the train or like all of these things that impact us every day right yeah and it's it's kind of uh sad that in 2021 all these things are still happening because you know this was kind of maybe something that was standard when i was a teenager but you think in the last 30 years or so that society would have would have you know gotten rid of these kinds of behaviors but but they're still happening yeah exactly well we'll have to break for the 2:30 news uh just now uh with this afternoon on the agenda cafe karen Kerr and myself we're speaking to sam top who is the creator of frontline feminist an instagram platform designed to educate support and inspire women who want to speak up about sexual harassment and sexual violence we are live this afternoon on facebook page noreen mayor on rthk radio 3 um as we take a quick break uh those of you who are joining on facebook will cut to the welcome back you're listening to the agenda cafe this afternoon with me noreen with me karen co and noreen mia i'm not noreen noreen is noreen and uh we are on facebook live as well i'm having identity confusion uh on noreen's page noreen mia at rthk radio 3 and this afternoon we're talking about 
sexual harassment, sexual assault, and we're joined by Sam Top, who is a Chinese-British journalist based in Hong Kong, and also is, is the creator of Frontline Feminists, which is a fantastic Instagram platform designed to educate and share stories um, around this topic. So Sam, you know, you shared with us some of the experiences that uh, you know your followers and, and people who've reached out to you have been willing to tell you on the Instagram page. What has this learning process been like for you? Like getting, you know, getting feedback from people you, you don't know. Also reaching out to people, you know, hoping that they'll respond to you. What, what has that been like? Um, I think it's made me realize with the number of people sharing their stories and the response from people like followers, how much of a bigger issue this is than I initially realized and also how much more complex it is than I originally thought as well. Um, and how speaking up itself is just, I feel like it needs to be seen with more of like an intersectional lens, the same way we view feminism, you know, and I think you know, from my experiences talking to so many different people, I've really learned how speaking up is so different when it intersects with, you know, your race or your culture or your class and all of these things, right? And I do think that is missing in the mainstream narrative of speaking up. So that's something that I've definitely realized and learned. And that's something I'm hoping to share on the Instagram page. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that when you launched, it, it sort of came at the same time as what are now some very high profile sexual assault cases like the Brittany Higgins uh, rape allegation in Australia, which just happened um, this, yeah, this month. It was really, you know, beginning of, of um, late February and early March. Um, and it's, you know, to follow what's happening in the news and to see the types of things that are being said by politicians, mm -hmm. by, you know, critics, I mean, how, how does that make you feel? You know, you, we, we hear politicians and leaders saying things like, you know, women shouldn't dress attractively. Women shouldn't drink alcohol. Women shouldn't go out at night. You know, kind of, are we living in, you know... Sort of like victim blaming again. Yeah, it, and you know what should, should, should happen? Men should keep their, you know, penis in their pants. That's what yeah, should happen. Yeah, and men, men yeah. should, should be... Should, understand how to behave maybe men should stay home at night you know to prevent all this violence that, that's a thing that's have, that is being said now in the uk men should have a 6 p.m curfew yeah yeah no definitely it's i think you know the whole thing was so disappointing to see you know just so so disappointing to see victim blaming obviously there is always to be expected some level unfortunately of victim blaming in terms of you know the keyboard warriors and things like that but to see it from you know the highest ranking military official in australia to make comments like that saying that women you know people shouldn't be attractive and shouldn't drink to to avoid being potential prey to sexual predators it just really really speaks to this kind of ingrained culture of how you know they view these kind of situations and just the immense kind of level of victim blaming that has become so normalized that they think that is acceptable to say you know and that they see that as a potential solution to a problem when it's really much more about educating people and educating boys and educating men on how they should you know handle these situations and to understand the issues of consent you know what i mean which is a massive issue and i feel like it really goes back to the underlying issue of just like a lack of education about these issues because people don't talk about them. Mm. So yeah, it's definitely really disappointing to see. Now in your generation, among say your friends, uh, both uh, guys and girls your age, 
Is there a lot of discussion about this? Do you think that even you're you're still very young, but even at at your age and through your upbringing as a as a child and teenager, were these things being discussed? Mm, when I was younger, definitely not. Um, definitely not. There was no discussion about consent, and there was still a lot of even now there's still a lot of really normalized kind of um, issues when it comes to how women are treated and the sexual harassment that's still normalized in so many ways but definitely looking back at my teenage years and my time at university these things weren't discussed enough um, and unfortunately still not. Yeah, uh, I'm a mom of two girls and my eldest is three years old and I've been teaching her about consent and it starts you know very young just sort of letting her know it's okay to set your boundaries and if you don't want something to happen if you don't want something to be done if you don't want to be tickled let us know you know it's about respecting her body and and training young girls to learn to speak up from a very young age because oftentimes we don't and, and we tickle them and and if they don't like it we continue and that's in a way sort of a, a, a violation i know this sounds you know maybe some listeners listening think well it's just tickling but actually you're teaching your child a, a bit more than it's not just tickling it's about respecting their bodies and if they say no it, it means no and it's okay to say no yeah. Like those underlying lessons, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think that goes through popular culture as well. I mean, I, I just saw uh, an article last week about, I, can't, I don't know who it was, but someone was, was looking at the cartoon that I grew up with of that uh, skunk, Pepe Le Pew. And uh, I don't know whether you know this character. We're just going to pretend we know it, Karen. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew was this French skunk who was always trying to make this cat fall in love with him. Uh, and when you go back and you look at the actual cartoon, he basically grabs her while she's trying to get away. You know, she's furiously trying to push him away. And he's kissing her again while she's trying to push him away. As she runs away, he goes in front of the door and locks the door so that she can't leave. And when you look at it, it's an extremely, you know, rapey kind of cartoon you can't see my reaction time. under the mask but i'm actually like ah yeah i mean when i look at a cartoon it, for children it was a cartoon for children and you know just as you know disney is going back and revising all its characters that that have a sort of racist bent um we have to kind of look back at our our popular culture and the things that we were showing children which maybe you know subliminally subliminally created this this feeling that oh, this is normal for a man to chase a woman, grab her, um, even if she's resisting, not letting go, forcing himself on her, because that's exactly what this cartoon was. And when I look at it now, I think, wow, it's just incredible that that was seen as, as acceptable children's entertainment uh, back then. Um, so, you know, obviously culture has changed, but there's still, obviously still a lot of things that haven't changed. Um, I mean, I think... Sam, do you think the way, you know, boys and men are being raised and the whole culture of, you know, what it is to be a man in relation to women is is healthy right now? I think it's really dependent on so many other factors, like cultural factors, racial factors, and of course, like parents themselves, right? I do think that there are there is an increased awareness about the idea behind like what is manly and you know, just kind of challenging these stereotypes of why is it that men aren't supposed to cry, right? Which is obviously wrong. All of these kind of things. So there definitely is increased awareness. And I do think that as we see, like, 
our generation growing older and having children, that will definitely change over time. But I do think that that's not everyone, right? So there is definitely still a lot of things that need to be done and a lot of things that need to be changed. And I don't know if you saw, but um, a, a young woman called Chanel, she actually started a petition in Australia to uh, reform sex education. Um, and some of the testimonies she was sharing, which are, are you know, the, some of the perpetrators are victims similar to my, I mean, uh, sorry, people my age, right? And um, it was very clear that they didn't have an understanding of consent at all, or they just did not care about the idea of consent, right? Um, so things like that, who who are very young, still at school and things like that, really highlight that enough is not being done. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that for listeners who don't know about um, what Chanel did? Yeah, so um, with the whole situation that happened with Brittany Higgins, who said that she was raped in the Australian Parliament House, there became this huge reckoning across the country when it came to um, how women are treated in terms of sexual harassment and sexual violence and the victim blaming that women often face. And actually a young woman who went to school in Sydney, she spoke about her own personal experiences of being sexually assaulted. And she talked a little bit about how sex education had failed her. And she started an online petition for other young women and other people to, sh to also sign to try and reform sex education to be more inclusive of the realities that women face and to better educate young men on what they should be doing and what consent is. Um, and it's been really, really successful so far. So hopefully that works. And I believe a lot of the testimony that was offered to her was from things that happened in high school, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old kids. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was horrible reading it. Yeah. It, I mean, it was basically, you know, stories of, of girls waking up to find themselves being raped at a party um, mm -hmm. and really not having any clue what to do about it afterwards and it just seemed so normalized that it was really really shocking and parents obviously having no idea that this is what what um their kids were going through and i think it also points to a lack of education when it comes to even just knowing that you've been sexually assaulted or knowing that you've been raped because you know i actually on my platform had someone dm me a young girl after sharing the britney higgins post a young girl dm'd me who was in high school as well and she asked me like how do you know if you've been sexually assaulted you know and just reading that message just broke my heart you know to know that likely something had happened to her and she just had no idea what what had really happened you know and to know that a young girl was reaching out to someone on instagram that she had never met she clearly felt like she couldn't talk to the people around her and knowing that you know our education system was failing her to that extent you know it's just really really horrible to see wow i feel so sad he he hearing that Ooh. and and sometimes the, the lines are really blurred because because of the victim blaming you know could it be that two people were at a party and you know you often hear this phrase oh the girl chickened out no if she says no she means no and i hate that sort of vi victim blaming so, and, and it, you know and it goes to show that it makes me think of college rape as well you know remember a few years back well it keeps happening but a lot of time these institutions cover up and hide these stories and make it and silence the voices 
of these survivors, these victims, these survivors, so that even if they do come out to share their stories, their voices aren't really heard or it's a bit sort of, you know, changed to protect the, the, the reputation of these so-called Ivy League schools. And that's also dangerous because that, that, that seems to me that, you know, nothing is being really done to punish the perpetrators if you're silencing voices of these survivors. Yeah. And I think that's also why you, you know, we hear stories of people who have held on to their story for years, who, you know, maybe were assaulted 30 years ago and never talked about it because they did a bit of an assessment and realized there's no benefit to me to talk about this. I'm just going to get blamed. I'm going to be called all sorts of names and the perpetrator, there's no consequences for them. And, and I always get angry when you have people online saying, well, why didn't you speak up about it earlier? How come you didn't mention this at the time? Because um, they just don't understand how difficult it is, how much, how, as Sammy said, how exhausting it is to, to have to, to do this. You know, you, it's a big decision to make. Definitely. And I think you also need that time to really process what actually happened to you again because of the lack of education and the stigma that surrounds it people just really need time to really assess like oh did that really happen to me especially like you mentioned earlier with victim blaming right Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if you've heard of kelly yang but she's now a really um well-known author yes and um she also experienced that at her university when she was studying at Harvard Law, I believe. And, um, you know, she, she didn't speak up about it for like 17 years. And now she's really, really outspoken about it, has written several books about it. And there's a great book called Parachutes, which is really good for any young listeners as well because it really talks about that um, and educates young people about what they can do in these situations. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you can do in these situations because sometimes when the perpetrator does something, um, oftentimes you're quite stunned. You're you're still processing what has just happened depending on on what has happened, whether it's, you know, inappropriate text, inappropriate touching or, you know, further sexual violence. So what can we do in that situation? How can we, how can our listeners sort of protect ourselves in that instance? Karen, Sam? I I think it depends on what what actually happened, right? But I do think, you know, for things like um, sexual harassment or sexual assault, I think it's important that you try to keep documentation of everything that happened and any kind of evidence that you might need, even though that's probably not what you're feeling at that time. When you look back on it, you'll be really thankful that you had that. Um, and then also just removing yourself from that situation, taking the time to process what happened. And it's really important as well. Um, I was speaking to someone else from HR that is, if um, harassment has happened in the workplace or something like that, if you tell someone else as and they can speak to that and speak to HR um, on behalf of you in the future to say that you had told them about this in the past um, as a kind of reference for what you're talking about. And I think just speaking to other people is really, really important and trying to get that professional counseling to really understand and process what happened to you is really important to you. Yeah. How about confronting the perpetrator um, in terms of speaking to them and saying, look, that behavior is not acceptable. Um, Is that also a good idea or or should you sort of avoid that sort of confrontation and and keep things in a more uh, strictly uh, professional channel and go through the appropriate channels? I think that's, that's up to the survivor themselves and also dependent on the situation again because if it's a dangerous situation you obviously don't want to do that right the whole point would be to take yourself out of that situation 
But definitely, if you feel like it's safe enough and it was, you know, harassment or something like that, and you feel confident enough and you feel like that will help you to heal and process, then I, I feel you have every right to be able to, you know, calmly go up to that person and explain how and why what they did was wrong yeah. and ask it's happened to me before and you know now that we're sharing Karen you're you're aware of the situation um it happened uh, in, in my workplace as well and you know I, I was uh going to, to the breastfeeding room to pump and and I had a male colleague a senior male colleague sort of say to me um well why don't you go and sort of and he didn't say it but he sort of made the gesture uh meaning to go masturbate as well and I was really stunned and uh, you know I couldn't really quite process so I went to uh the the the, the lactation room did my thing and then uh, it took me a few days to, I think maybe close to a week to then actually confront the person say what you did isn't appropriate and then he sort of turned around so well I was only joking you know and they turn it around so that makes you feel yeah. like exactly yeah. you're overreacting and you know I'm like no that comment was really inappropriate you shouldn't have said that and then it's the whole um, business of no you've overreacted I was only joking and that kind of that actually made me quite upset because it's like you're not owning to the fact that you've made me feel this way and and you know who gave you the permission to speak to me like that and that's often quite tricky when the perpetrators sort of turn around and say no you took it you took it the wrong way it was you and and that's another level of victim blaming right exactly and I, and I think there's a lot of that that goes on and you know then women are being told oh you can't take a joke anymore or yeah. you you know we can't we can't say anything because uh, you're, you're so too sensitive, sensitive. yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's like you can't win no matter how you how you approach it um, because it seems like men have the freedom to do and say whatever they like and you know women are supposed to mold themselves around that and somehow make themselves uh, feel comfortable coming it's to think so about funny. it i should have reacted like after i finished pumping i should have just went back to the room to pour it all over his head <laughs> really made a scene and if people ask why did you do that then the story can come out but the, the milk say, was too I'm precious totally joking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take a joke <laughs> you can't take a joke it's just a bit of milk <laughs> Right. Um, I mean, the thing is, I know that in a lot of big, you know, international companies that have good HR that are conscious of um, their employees, there are policies and there are procedures and there's training. You know, that if, if you join this company, you've got to sit through this training that tells you exactly what sexual harassment is in all its forms and what the consequences will be if you're the perpetrator and also what you can do if you're, if you're a victim of it. Sam, it, is that, are we lacking that here in Hong Kong? I think that a lot of companies are lacking that everywhere. And I think that in the big multinational companies, there are, you know, boards to hold them accountable and things like that, right? But in smaller companies, local companies, in family-owned companies, they there aren't really those kind of processes to hold them to account and actually make sure they're doing the right thing by their staff. So, yes, I definitely think a lot of companies are lacking. Um, and, you know, some of the things that I think that companies should have in place um, based off my own personal experiences and obviously having talked to people in HR and lawyers in Hong Kong as well, is companies should have a really clear framework in place as to what dictates to a verbal warning, a written warning and termination of contract. And it shouldn't be remotely opinion based at all or it shouldn't be, be able to be influenced by the perpetrator's role in the company or how senior they are. 
Um, I also think, like you mentioned, all companies should have some sort of sexual harassment and sexual assault training. And that should be done from when people are onboarded, right? Um, again, another thing that I talked to a HR lady here in Hong Kong about, and she spoke to me and told me that there should be a very, very clear pathway on how to report and ideally, and you know, very publicly spoken about to reduce that stigma, but also ideally multiple pathways. So if someone doesn't feel comfortable speaking to one particular person in HR or wants to go over that person's head um, because they want to avoid local politics and that kind of thing, there should be different ways people and different people um, that people can go and speak to to report these things. Exactly, yeah. and and sort of to to avoid any uncomfortableness, and and not just one way, because sometimes that way doesn't suit uh, the, the survivor, and also you know it's uncomfortable sometimes to continue to work with the perpetrator. So there needs to be some sort of solution, temporary solution, whatever it is that during the process of reporting, is there any way to minimize direct contact or you know some some sort of ways to so that people are, are, don't feel uncomfortable and yeah. put in that position. Yeah, so I definitely think the company should take steps to try and remove the perpetrator, not the victim, because after speaking to this person in HR, they told me that it does signify a lot to the rest of the company by who you choose to remove from that situation. So you need to remove the perpetrator, right? They need to be the one that's sent home because they did the wrong thing. Yeah. So they should be the one that's removed from that situation to help, you know, make it more comfortable for the victim. Um, you know, and so that they can go about their day, day to day, like as they usually would. Mm -hmm. Also, companies need to do more in terms of after these things happen, in terms of providing um, free therapy for the victim that went through this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, Sam, if, if the perpetrator was removed, you know, maybe there'd be uh, a vacuum in senior leadership because the perpetrator is often very senior and part of the reason they feel like they can do this is because they feel they're untouchable. Mm, exactly. Exactly. So if you if we create a culture where nobody's untouchable, they'll think twice about harassing um, people who are less powerful, less senior. Yeah, you, the, the same lady that I was speaking to, she told me an example about how in one company in Hong Kong, a multinational company, their policy is so strict that if you proposition anyone, you're fired. And this wow. did happen in in uh, in real life, and someone did do that out on a business trip, and he was very senior, and they just let him go instantly. So I think that sets a really clear message that this is where this company stands on this issue, and they will follow through. Exactly, and that really zero tolerance, them. zero yeah. tolerance policy, yeah. and and that happened. Yeah, in, in in the eyes of the law as well. I think one thing that comes to mind is the prevalence of of gang raping in India, and I think then they sort of revamped um, the, their laws to, to make it stricter and 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 more consequential. Um, uh, and um, I'm not sure I haven't seen any of the figures to see if it, that's deterred. But, you know, that certainly sent shockwaves. You know, people were reporting in the media. And I think that sort of temporarily made people a bit more wary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam, finally, but before we let you go, let's hear um, more about Frontline Feminists. Uh, going forward, what are some of your plans then? Yes. Um, so I actually was invited to speak to a school in Hong Kong. And, you know, I wasn't expecting it, but actually it made me realize how much it was something that I definitely wanted to do more in the future. And it was something that I would really like to be able to create a stronger, more direct 
channel to young people who are in high school and in early in their career like me because I feel like I can directly relate to the issues that they're facing um, and I would really love to be able to run some sort of workshop in terms of helping to foster and grow confidence in young women because obviously my own personal experiences I was super shy when I was young so I really understand the importance and how empowering it is to, uh, to be when you can speak up for yourself right um, yeah, and I'd really love to also, with the whole thing that's happened in the UK recently, it made me realize how important it would be also to run kind of workshops to educate people on what they can do when they see issues of sexual harassment um, in, in public spaces and how they can intervene. I think if more people were aware of what they could do, more people would actually step up and do something. So I'd love to be able to educate people on that too. Wow, good for you, Sam. This sounds so amazing, you know, so inspiring. You're amazing. Uh, Remind our listeners once again how we can find out a little bit more about Frontline Feminists and about your work. Um, Have you got a website and also Instagram page? Yes, so you can find Frontline Feminists on at Frontline Feminists on Instagram and my work at uh, samanthatop.com. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, Sam, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for doing this from the start um, because it as we know it's so much easier just to sit there and not do anything and just be angry and it's so much more work to actually do something about it and you do everything yourself right all the interviews (laughs) yes i do (laughs) on top of your day job so you know kudos to you for for the commitment and the time that and the energy that you put into it Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It was amazing to talk about this today. Well, it was great. Thanks for joining us on the Agenda Cafe. It's been really great having you. Thank you. She's just